When I walked into AOL, it was, you know, a significantly smaller company than when I left there. And I felt like every time I was in a room trying to, you know, move the needle of the business, it was always about let's go and get this done versus I never heard the word, it can't be done. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... Hint Water is a modern-day David versus Goliath story, but it wasn't as if Kara Golden, its founder, woke up one day and said, I'm going to take on the beverage market and disrupt Big Bev. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth, at least initially. You see, Kara had just concluded a career at AOL where she grew their e-commerce biz to a $1 billion enterprise. She had four kids and she wanted to do something different, but she was encountering some health challenges that made that difficult, including adult onset acne. Now, after seeing several doctors and not getting any real answers, she decided to take things into her own hands and essentially hit the reset button on her nutrition, starting with her beloved Diet Coke. And I don't use that word beloved lightly. You will hear she was addicted. So she set herself on a mission to solve a problem for one person, herself. And there is a big lesson in that for each of us. You will have to listen to the rest of the episode to fill in the blanks, but today they are not far from being a $100 million company. And by the time this airs, they may already be a $100 million company. And in the meantime, Kara has earned all kinds of accolades, such as Entrepreneur of the Year in Northern California from Ernst & Young's, Forbes 40 Women to Watch, and Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs. You will also learn a ton in this episode about Kara that hasn't been heard before, including her industrious roots and learning how to spot opportunities to solve problems from her family. That and so much more. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. And be sure to go get yourself some delicious, nutritious Hint Water immediately after this episode, wherever you can find it. And if you can't find it at your nearest store, you can certainly buy it direct from them. So again, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Kara Golden, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you and hear your story and talk about risk-taking today. Awesome. Thanks. Nice to be here. So you've had quite an epic 2017. Uh, You've accomplished a lot over your your life as an entrepreneur and leader, but this year you were named by Fortune as one of the most powerful entrepreneurial women. You were named by Forbes as one of the 40 women 
to watch. You you were er- Ernst and Young's NorCal Entrepreneur of the Year. I mean, where does all of this drive come from? Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial kind of driven type A home? Uh, yeah, not really. Actually, uh, you know, it's interesting. My my dad was kind of a closet entrepreneur. He worked inside of a large company, uh, Conagra, which is still a large company today. He was uh, part of an acquisition. Uh, he initially worked for Armor Food Company and developed a product line that you may have heard of called Healthy Choice. Mm-hmm. So I had grown up in a house where you know my dad was developing products, but inside of a large company. So um, his title was like product manager, and you know, and that's. That's what he was doing. But the sort of the ethos of why he did it was uh, my mom actually decided to go back to work after uh, I started school full full time in kindergarten. And so my dad, instead of actually learning to cook, which would have probably been a more logical, smarter (laughs) thing to do, my dad decided that that, uh, Stouffer TV dinners, which were the choice back then for, you know, ready to go kind of things that you just threw in the oven were not very edible looking or tasting. And so he decided, he worked in this large company, pitched this idea of doing healthier and better for you real food. And, uh, And so he launched that. And, you know, it's it's interesting because fast forward, uh, we launched Hint. I went to him and said, you know, how do you actually get a product in Safeway? And he really didn't have any idea because here he was, you know, again, an entrepreneur, like living inside of a large company, but the large company owned so much of the space so that they actually did, you know, the heavy lifting. They owned the real estate to actually uh, get in this case, in the freezer case. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I learned uh, pretty quickly after launching Hint was that it was really, um, it exists in every single industry, whether it's in frozen foods or cereal or beverages, that a lot of that real estate is actually bought by these large companies. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about, um, in a little while, dealing with competition and stuffy old business behaviors and how to innovate. Yeah, so so I'm the last of five kids, oh, no. and uh, we okay, yeah, and we um, we almost had two separate uh, families within our kids set because my brother and sister are 15 and 16 years older than oh, me, okay. and then my parents decided to start again, uh, and so my uh, brother and sister are all within three years of each other, pretty tight. So uh, so yeah, so we my mom finally decided after uh, me that she was going to stop having kids, and uh, she was forty at the time, and when she and, had you? Uh, when she had me, oh, which wow, was okay. you know old, yeah. right? To at that time to be having Important. kids, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. And uh, she was an art history major, um, had uh, actually never really realized it until much later. She had graduated from uh, University of Minnesota, and. Uh, art history major, and which back then, I mean, it was, you know, not that usual for women to have college degrees, especially in the Midwest. So she really enjoyed art history and created some programs in my, uh, the town that I grew up in, in Scottsdale, I guess it's a city now versus it used to be a town. And uh, she actually took this concept that she was really passionate about, which was teaching uh, art in the public school system. So she created like 
this is what a Matisse looks like. This is what um, a Picasso looks like. And so it's uh, so she loved doing that. Um, she realized that she really couldn't make any money uh, doing it. And then she decided after I went off to kindergarten that she would really do what she was most passionate about, which was fashion. Oh, wow. um, not most passionate, I should say also passionate about. Yeah. So fashion. So she actually uh, went to a local department store and she said, I really want to be a buyer ultimately. And I want to, you know, be involved in, in fashion. And so she went back to work full time. And so it was, uh, it was interesting because because as a child watching my mom go and do something that she was really excited about, I mean, not only did she want to make some money, but she also wanted to do something that she really believed in and that she was excited about. Mm. And so, so it was an exciting time, you know, yeah. being in a, you know, household where, you know, she really made a decision that, you know, her kids were growing up and out of the house. I mean, she also, as I mentioned before, had I have siblings that are significantly older, so they were off in college and doing their thing. So she really, you know, put stakes in the ground to say, I want to go do something that I'm really passionate about as That's well. That's awesome. I'm sure that even though you did something completely different with your corporate career and then entrepreneurial career, like that example definitely was something that was a thread that you carried with you in your own journey. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely, yeah. definitely. And finding, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of uh, soul searching and thinking recently. I'm, I'm uh, trying to put a book together at this point. And I have a brother that's 15 years older than me who's uh, actually an attorney, not an entrepreneur. But I remember growing up with him and... He'd come home for for summers. He was at University of Arizona for, at law school, and he'd come home and he'd paint houses during the summer because he had this goal that he didn't want to work during the school year, and he was putting himself through law school. And so he would say to me, come with me and drive around the block and help me find the houses that really need painting. Mm. And so while I'm driving, you look out the windows and look at the ones that look kind of chipped so I can go pitch them on doing this. And so it was... It, so in many ways, like I look at sort of what he was doing, it was um, very entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to paint houses for the rest of his life, but he was doing what he needed to do in order to ultimately, you know, be focused on on law. And I, I think it's, that. yeah. And, yeah. and so really the balance between not just you know, my dad who was, you know, in food. So a lot of people point to him as, oh, that was it. That like, that's why she decided to start this. But I think there were so many people. I mean, my brother sort of being scrappy and, and uh, he also used to buy old Volkswagens and he figured out that they were pretty easy to redo. And then he'd flip them in like <laughs> 30 days and, you know, double his money back. And so he'd always talk to me about the economics yeah. of that and, you know, your cost of goods, right? And actually being able to create a profit. And he would never, he'd always have that, like he'd think out loud to me as like a little kid. And so at a very, very young age, I was always like, you know, interested in sort of like learning the economics of that, but then also watching my mom do something right. that, you know, she wasn't just going to go take a job. She was going to take a job that she was ultimately really passionate about. It's interesting that you you bring up the story about your brother and you probably don't even realize the connection that you made there with a lot of other things that you talk about and other examples that you use in speeches that you've given with like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg and other people. 
your brother and yourself, your brother was not trying to necessarily solve other people's problems. He was trying to solve a problem for himself, which was he needed to make money during the summer so he could focus full time on what he needed to get done. Totally. And we're going to talk about that and how that birthed Hint in a moment. Who among your friends or family has been the, the biggest influence on your entrepreneurial journey? You know, I think, I think uh, I would have to say our chief operating officer and my husband, who has been, you know, a huge supporter of um, not just, you know, me and, and sort of the idea of incubating this, but also... Um, I think it's just, I always tell entrepreneurs, it's so nice to have, you know, a partner, A, that you trust, but also um, that somebody who can sort of fill in, you know, the space that you might not be able to articulate because you haven't had sleep or whatever (laughs) that is saying, wait, 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 like, let's figure this out together. But I think somebody too, that is, uh, that you know, is really excited to be in a support role. I, there's so many entrepreneurs along the way that I think have really, you know, done that. But I would have to point to him as, you know, he's he definitely is, you know, the man behind the curtains at, at many times mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, making sure that, you know, the product is being produced, that we're thinking through, um, you know, lots of issues around, around, you know, how do we market this product? He's an attorney too. So it's, I always say this too, it's nice to have an attorney, you know, where he's thinking about things that, you know, as the creative and as the marketer and, you know, as the, as the founder that, you know, that somebody to really watch exactly dot all the I's. They have to dot all the I's, cross the T's and and challenge some of your thinking from time to time. Totally. Which is a, a challenge in and of itself as a married couple. My wife also works for us at our financial advisory oh, cool. firm. She's our director of operations. And so we, I can, we, we share some similar experiences in that, you know, she's our greatest champion, but she also challenges my thinking a lot, which makes me better. Yeah. You know, and, and probably he makes you better. Yeah. And ultimately at the end of the day, you both want the same thing. Yeah, totally. Now, before you launched Hint, it's not like you woke up one morning and say, like, I'm going to launch a beverage company. You had an incredible, incredibly successful career at AOL where you grew that division, the e-commerce division, to a billion-dollar revenue center for the entire corporation. That is like most entrepreneurs want to grow their company to a billion dollars. You grew their division to a billion-dollar revenue center. That is insane in and of itself. You probably could have just hung up your, you know, your Amazon, you know, uh, hammer at that point and just called it a day. But yet you you were still hungry. You were still searching. I read that you were like, even though you were you had three kids and another one on the way, you were still looking for something to do. So I have two questions. Okay, and this is where we're kind of transition into. The hint story. The first is, what lessons did you learn at AOL that you carry forward today and that have helped you? And two, then at that point, maybe tell us why you started Hint and the whole story behind uh, how most entrepreneurs start things in their garage and you started this amazing company in your kitchen. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, a, a combination of my kitchen and garage. So, oh, really? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, to some extent. But yeah, I think that the key thing that I learned uh, at AOL, and I would say that this is true in tech in general, because I've talked to many other founders, especially here in the Bay Area, who have uh, experienced the same thing. When I walked into AOL, it was, you know, a significantly smaller company than when I left there. And I felt like, Every time I was in a room trying to, you know, move the needle of the business, it was always about let's go and get this done versus I never heard the word, it can't be done, right? It can't, it was always like, well, let's go get, you know, Susie in here or Sam in here or or whatever, whatever, or let's try and figure out, could we go partner with such and such company and see what can be done? And so we would typically walk out of out of out of meetings basically saying like, okay, we don't have the right people in the room necessarily to figure this out, but these are the steps that we're going to take in order to get it. So when I decided to launch Hint, I I felt like I was running up against all of these people in the food and beverage industry who were saying, it can't be done, it can't be done, it can't be done. You can't create a product that is shelf-stable, that is using real fruit, that doesn't have preservatives in it. It just can't be done. And so my natural instinct coming from you know, AOL was to ask why. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had permission to ask why too, because... I hadn't been in food and beverage. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think that that actually worked to my benefit because if I would have come from, you know, a Coke or a Pepsi or Dr. Pepper Snapple or even a Kraft or whatever, they would have been like, okay, well, she's, you know, done this. She's been, you know, there for 10 years. So she should know this. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they would think that I was almost being dismissive asking why versus actually trying to probe for the question. Right. Right. And so, uh, and, and sort of that combined with, you know, I was truly asking why, cause I didn't understand it. Um, I mean, we also sort of acted like tech executives saying we, I mean, my husband was, you know, frankly worried when I was starting Hint that I was writing personal checks off of our bank account. And so it was like, I got to go with you and actually seeing what you're doing at this plant. And here I am, you know, carrying my cot with me in order to be down at the bottling plant. And, you know, these bottlers were like, this is crazy. Like, I mean, I know we're running at 2 a.m. in order to get your run done, but you can stay down the street at a hotel. And right. I was like, no, 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 I'm good. Like, I, I'll just be here. I have my pillow and sleeping bag. And, yeah. and uh, so it was just very much, um, I felt like the culture mm-hmm. of, of, you know, CPG or mm-hmm. beverage was so different mm-hmm. than what I had grown up in in tech. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that those were... Um, Sort of important lessons that again, it's you know hindsight twenty twenty afterwards right. that I look back on it and right. but I think it's it's you know it's really important that it actually worked to our benefit to not come from you know the CPG industry but you know just going back to the story I mean it was it back in uh, in two thousand four I was really looking at trying to figure out how do I lead a healthy lifestyle and I had left AOL in two thousand one. And had my, um, actually at that point, had my second child. I was pregnant with my third. I was, you know, 
at home with the kids. I was doing some investing, some advisory board stuff. I was kind of interviewing for jobs, but really not interested in doing what I was terming as, you know, AOL 2.0, not Mm -hmm. because it was a bad thing. I just sort of felt, I felt incredibly loyal to AOL. Mm -hmm. And then also I just felt like I really wanted to do something that was different and that made a difference. And so I assumed that that was a nonprofit when I was describing my sort of interests and passion to friends and family. And uh, and then I just felt like I there were so many nonprofits that I thought were cool, and I would go in and sit in on meetings and and uh, you know whether it was health related or children related and things that I thought were, were really interesting. But I I just felt like the the key thing for me that was really hard to get my arms around was it moved so slow. Mm-hmm. And so coming from a tech industry and being a part of AOL, you know, so early on in in the history of you know not just, you know, online shopping, but the internet as a whole. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing most mm-hmm. of the time when mm-hmm. we were trying to build this. And it was a lot of trial and error and throwing things at the wall to see if it stuck. And so it was a super exciting time. Yeah. And so, um, and it was a unique time in history where, you know, things were, we were builders, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so I think to go from being a builder to, going into a nonprofit that is already, you know, baked and and has a lot of, you know, history behind it, but yeah. also legacy people that are doing things. It's just, I, I just, I felt like the process wasn't necessarily what right. I wanted to be doing. So while I was on this path, on a parallel path, I decided, okay, I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to you know, eat healthy. I'm going to shop at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and do the right thing. And then I really started realizing after seeing a doctor that, you know, I had this problem that I wasn't really sure how to figure it out, that my metabolism had pretty much stopped. I was um, really tired. I had adult acne, which I had never even had as a teenager. And after I went to this doctor who said, you know, we're going to medicate you, we'll create some changes. My first question was, instead of why, but essentially why, it's, it's you know, what's wrong with me? Like, what's the diagnosis? Because I had always been taught when you take medication, that's actually for a diagnosis. And I couldn't get a diagnosis out of this doctor because there was no diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And then again, on a sort of third parallel path, my uh, friend of mine that was a roommate of mine in college worked at the Center for Disease Control on the type 2 diabetes module. And Mm -hmm. uh, she started telling me about, you know, some of my symptoms that I had. And she said, you know, this thing called type 2 diabetes is um, growing. It's like 2% of the population at that point in 2004. Today, it's almost 40% of the population has type 2 diabetes or or prediabetes. And she said that it's, you know, it's interesting because they're really trying to figure it out. And unlike type 1 diabetes, it's showing up very differently, but it's, you know, it's sort of coming up in later years, typically at that time, it wasn't really showing up as much in kids and that they thought it was environmental in some way, whether it was induced by food or not, but they thought at that time that it was probably related to sugar consumption. And so um, so she was just super interesting just because she loves me too. And like that she felt like, 
you know, the acne, the belly fat, all of these kind of things were sort of similar to what I was seeing. You know, I wasn't, you know, eating tons and tons of sugar. I wasn't, you know, doing cupcakes every single day. But I definitely loved my Diet Coke, which has also had the sweetness. So um, so anyway, I decided prior to taking any medication, I decided I'm going to actually like get rid of everything that I'm putting into my body that actually I don't understand. And I'm just going to put it to the side until I do understand. And so, you know, as tragic as it was for me to get rid of the Diet Coke, I thought I'm going to put it to the side and and then like see what happens. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. So I remember telling my husband that I'm just going to trade out Diet Coke for uh, plain water. And he's like, well, that's going to be really hard for you because you've been like (laughs) drinking Diet Coke for a long time. I mean, you're drinking like on a, you know good day or however you want to view it, bad day. I mean, I was drinking, you know, north of 10. Oh my not, gosh. Not wow. always in a can format. Right. You know, yeah, but, I, but I grew a up two in A two-liter bottle or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. I grew up in Arizona. I really right. liked, fa- I preferred fountain versus oh, yeah. like sure. in a can. And yeah. so we had Circle K's in, in right. Phoenix, Scottsdale area. So I'd always go or 7-Eleven or whatever. And so I'd fill up. And some, usually I wouldn't even drink the whole thing. I liked like the newness of it right. and cold and whatever. Right. But, um, and even when I was at AOL, I mean, I have friends who of course didn't tell me there then, but told me afterwards that they wouldn't even show up in a meeting with me unless I had a Diet Coke. Like everybody was like, where's her Diet Coke? They'd be so (laughs) distracted by me not having a Diet Coke because I just so much like needed it. And so I, um, so, you know, left the Diet Coke and then really felt like crap for a couple of weeks and then looked in the mirror one day and saw that my adult acne was gone. And thought that was really interesting and then happened to to go to lunch with a friend of mine and she was like, you look like you've lost weight. And I was like, oh God, I've gave up Diet Coke and I've just been feeling horrible. And she's like, no, you really look like you've lost weight. And so I got on the scale after lunch and I had lost over 20 pounds in like, in like two weeks and I didn't even notice it. I mean, you know, many People will relate to this, especially if you've had kids. I mean, I like stopped getting on the scale because I really, frankly, didn't want to know what the scale said, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The scale had not been my friends, especially yeah. having, you know, so many babies back to back. But I I really, um, I was really stumped by this because the main thing that I had changed was the diet soda. And finally, uh, you know, sort of lived this way. Six months later, I lost over 50 pounds. I actually went back to the doctor that I had seen in New York and said, you know, I got to tell you, I made an appointment and 
went in there and said, I got to tell you, like, I've just been drinking water. And, you know, in order to drink more water, I've been cutting up fruit and throwing it in the water because I hate the taste of water. But just giving up the diet soda allowed me to lose the weight. And, but now I'm like losing too much weight and I'm concerned, like maybe I'm sick or like maybe like there's something wrong. And he was like, So how much of the medication are you taking? And I'm like, Oh no, I never filled the prescription. And he's like, Oh, well, you should probably leave then. <laughs> and I thought, I'm so excited, but I'm also a little concerned. And that's the conversation that I want to have with you. And you're upset that I didn't take the medication. And at that point, I really realized that, you know, and I think it's changed over, you know, the last 12 years to some extent, it's gotten better. But, you know, our medical community today is set up in such a way. And again, it's gotten slightly better, but especially back then where it was like, if you're sick, come to the doctor and we'll give you medication, mm-hmm. right? And I and and that's what doctors do. It wasn't about preventative medicine at all. And so that was, you know, a huge epiphany for me and again coming from a tech industry. I was not coming from I you know, I'm not a nutritionist. I was not it, this was purely a consumer like Wow, like mm-hmm. that that's such yeah. a crazy, you know, I ne- I thought the doctors were supposed to make me feel good and supposed to be excited about, you know, the changes progress, and right. the progress that we're making and especially if I'm able to do it without the medications. Like and so at that point I was like living uh living this way and really feeling good was continuing to work out every day but you know I've never been a marathon runner or anything crazy I'm you know it's 30 to 45 minutes every day doing you know sort of everything from soul cycle to you know running on the beach or whatever hiking and mm-hmm. and really just getting out and moving more than anything else and I went to my local Whole Foods, was shopping one day, and uh, there was a guy stocking the shelves. And, and I said to him, hey, I'm looking for a product that just has a little bit of fruit in it that, uh, that is still water, that uh, if I want to go in and, and grab a sandwich, I can grab it off the shelf. Do you know of anything like that? And he pointed to a product called Vitamin Water. And I was never, I knew about vitamin water, but I was never a vitamin water consumer. I was really a Diet Coke consumer. And so I quickly, you know, turned the product around and looked at the label and saw that it had just as many ingredients as as the Diet Coke that I had been drinking. And I didn't want to go back to that. And uh, and then I also noticed at that time that it had almost as much sugar as a, as a regular Coke. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't want to go in that direction. And so I said to the guy at Whole Foods, I'm like, you know, this is really crazy. Like it has a lot of ingredients in it, but the sugar content is so high. And that's really ironic because it's calling itself water and it's not really water at all. And vitamins. And so he's like, yeah, I think a lot of people, like you're getting lots of vitamins from it. So nobody's really like, reading the label on it and it's supposed to be really good for you. And, you know, it was like, he didn't work for vitamin water. It was his own perception on it. I was like, wow, like the sugar, I, in and of itself, like, I bet you just gain weight just from, and, you know, again, like just sort of stream of conscious, just like saying this and went off and did the rest of my shopping. And then a couple of weeks later, I went back to the supermarket and saw him in the market 
And uh, he said, you know, I was talking to my buddy who's gained all this weight and he's a big vitamin water drinker. And he, uh, and I, I was telling him about my conversation with you. And he said, you know, tell her definitely that there's, uh, you know, that I, I just realized that this product is not really, you know, as clean as it may, mm-hmm. you know, sound to the consumer. And I think it's really interesting what she's saying that, you know, water should actually at most have, you know, some flavor to it, like hint, right. but it shouldn't have the rest of this crap in it. So, um, so he s- joked around with me and said, you know, you should just develop this product. And I said, ha ha, you know, whatever. And then I, I went home and started thinking about it. Like, maybe that is what I, that maybe that's my calling. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe I can actually help people to enjoy water again. And maybe I could actually, you know, change a lot of things, whether it's, you know, weight gain or type two diabetes or whatever. I just thought it was such a cool thing that I was like almost gifted to be able to be seeing, you know, this, this, you know, problem. Did you see it all like at the same time, like all of these different um, niches that you could help heal or impact or or did you just start boiling the fruit and then all of these things started to like No, I, I think I really thought about it top level when I, mm-hmm. you know, was writing the business plan. I thought, you know, if you could if you could actually get people to drink water again, which they had moved away from once we started, you know, launching these flavored waters and vitamin waters and sodas, then you could actually change health in America and the world. Mm. That's what I thought about mm-hmm. when I launched it. And yeah. so, um, but I also thought, you know, if you started simple by, you know, just doing it with water, you could actually do it in a lot of other categories and and really come back to yeah. the basics, right? Mm-hmm. Of of really, you know, where I thought that many products should be in order for people to be healthier. So so that's when I, you know, went home and I I was I had been slicing up fruit and throwing, you know, them in a pitcher and putting it in the refrigerator. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but it mm-hmm. gets sort of, I, I called it smeggy looking like it was just, you know, after a while the pulp would get right. weird and the water would get cloudy. So I thought I have to go through a lot of fruit in order to do that, you know, on a weekly basis. And so I, I thought if you could actually boil the fruit down and actually take the oils and extracts out of the fruit, then maybe you could actually not have to deal with the pulp mm-hmm. and the rest of the product mm-hmm. that is also, that what I thought was causing the problem. And again, I had way too much time on my hands. I mean, yeah. I had little kids, but yeah. my brain was just thinking about, yeah. you know. You're a problem solver. Yeah. And so I started throwing these fruits on the stove and seeing if I could actually, you know, extract what I wanted out of there. I had a little medicine dropper that I was taking and yeah. I was putting in the water. And then, you know, again, I'd go out with my friends and and I'd be like, here, try this. And they're like, oh my God, that tastes so good. What is it? And I'm like, you know, this is raspberry pomegranate. And they're like, wait a minute, like, how do you get it in there? And I said, it's like two to three drops and we're putting it in the bottle. And so I had the concept, but then, you know, I didn't know, I'm mean, first of all, I knew that I couldn't long-term continue doing this in my kitchen. Right. And then, uh, 
And then I said to my husband, uh, I really want to, you know, launch this company and I've done some research on it and I've got to buy some bottles and caps. And I found this uh, bottler, they, it's called Copacker in, in Chicago that we're going to go out. And, now, that's a funny so, story yeah. because, because I read that yeah. and, and you had done all of this stuff. Research, yeah. Research and... And I don't. It's not clear in the articles that I read how much he knew about what you were actually doing. He didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and and so you delivered two very important pieces of news at the same time. Yeah. Right as you were getting ready to leave to Chicago. So let's fill in the gaps. On that. Yeah. So we. Um, so I had been doing research and sort of you know trying to like trying to really understand it and maybe in some ways also trying to get the guts up on on a couple of different levels to actually you know break the news I don't know if you've ever done that where you're thinking like okay at some point I've got to I've got to get some more information in order to sort of like unload mm-hmm, you know all mm-hmm. of this and so I kept thinking you know I've got to have my business plan before I actually do it I'm I'm the type of person too where I want to like bake things in my mind a little bit right. more before I actually unload them to anybody. I'm not the kind of person like, here's what I've been thinking about. Right. Like that to me is just, that's just a thought. Mm-hmm. That's not actually, mm-hmm. I, I like to get things like, you know, in my mind and this could change, but 90% of the way before I take it to somebody right. to say like, it's a, it's already, you know, almost done. So that, so that was my conversation with my husband. I was like, okay, listen, I'm going to take $50,000 out of our bank account and I'm going to buy the bottles and the caps and the company's called Wawa and there's, you know, and, and he was like, what, what, what? like, where are you going with this? And I'm like, well, yeah, no, it's, you know, I've been drink, drinking like, you know, fruit in water. And I went to Whole Foods. I talked to this guy and, you know, and he's like, what? You know, well, like, what are you talking about? And he seemed really upset. And he's like, Wawa, that's a terrible idea and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's going on and on about, you know, sort of poking holes in this whole thing. And then I figured, well, he's already upset. And so I was like, okay, so I got one more thing. Like, before you like say anything else, I mean, there's no better time than just to tell you that I'm pregnant with our fourth child. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God. And he walked out of the room and I wasn't even sure if he was going to come back. Actually. Yeah. I mean, he was just like, that was the maddest I've ever seen him. Like he was just, he was like on so many levels. I can't even believe that you're telling me like you're a tech executive who's being heavily recruited and you're going to go start a beverage company and you're going to call, call it Wawa. And he was like, why Wawa? And I'm like, okay, so when we get our kids to drink like something else, like we're trying to get them to drink water, we, we call it Wawa. And he's like, who's we? And I'm like, you know, like me and my friends, like, you know, when you're getting the kids to like give them a sippy cup and you call it Wawa. And he's like, no, most people don't do that. Like it's like a, it's a weird thing that you're that you're doing. And I was like, okay, whatever. And he's like, whatever. And and he's like, okay, look, you earned your own money. I'm not. I think this is a really bad idea. But I'm not really gonna like argue with you about it because you seem like you're really passionate about it. So I want to come with you to the bottling plant and you know see what's going on. And uh, and then this name thing, this Wawa thing, like super bad idea. Um, talk to me about you know where you're like 
how would you describe this product to people and mm. sort of like, you know, tell me a little bit more about where you're going with this. And so I kept talking and then finally said, it's just, I kept saying the word hint. And, um, and then he sort of, you know, like I saw his head sort of move. And, and then I was like, wait a minute, hint. That's, that's the name. And he's like, you'll never get it. It's like, it's a four letter word. It's like, there's just no way that you'll actually get that. And yeah. I'm like, okay, so your job is actually to, you're an attorney, you're a trademark attorney. Your job is to actually file the stuff for me. It's not to actually tell me it's a bad idea. <laughs> and so that's how you can be really useful to me. And um, and then also it'd be super great if you went to the plant with me because I'm super morning sickness, getting super morning yeah. sickness right now. And so he's like, okay, great. And I remember like when the bottles were rolling off of the line and he came to me and he said, okay, I get it now. Like you've never worked in a physical like goods company, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like the super cool, like you can show all your friends. Yeah. Like this is got... almost as good as having a baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you're, he was like, I totally get it. It's really exciting. I love the idea. There's a lot of things to figure out. And he said, but um, so I totally get it. And I was like, that's not why I want to launch this company at all. Like I want to launch the company because I believe that we could actually change health in America. And it's interesting. He had done, he left, he was at Netscape and was in house counsel, Mm. um, intellectual property at Netscape. And it's interesting because when he left, he went to do a startup with his dad's a doctor and this guy who was a friend of his dad's had started this really, really cool company that was doing patient interviews and helping um, to, get a, to get better diagnostics for consumers. So you filled out um, a form that said, you know, everything about you and you gave it to your local doctor after um, experts from all over the world had read your answers to questions. Hmm. And so they had, so you were immediately giving your local doctor information on, you know, possible Crohn's disease, Parkinson's disease, type 2 diabetes, people who were really studying these diseases, which is, you know, the biggest problem for like a consumer today is that they go to their local doctor just to figure out what's wrong with them. And and the doctor just doesn't know that much about, you know, the the different you know, interests, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, and so it was uh, ultimately they ended up selling the company off to the Bosch Foundation. There were lots of things that were, you know, coming up like HEPA laws were all, you know, being oh, yeah. created at that point. Yeah. And so what he th- saw was that in order to actually do this company, he'd have to really, um, there were just lots of like above and beyond investment. There were just lots of things that needed to get done and it was just hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. Mm -hmm. And so his fascination with Hint was like, he's like, you know, this is so simple. Like it actually might work. Like here you are giving the consumer a less than $2 product and you could actually change their health. What we were doing at our company was saying, fill out this form, go to the doctor, like go and get some other tests. There's like lots of steps involved. Mm -hmm. And then the average consumer may give up Mm -hmm. right before those steps. Mm -hmm. With you, you're you're like, here, just drink this. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to drink twice as much in a day, right? They're going to give up something. So let's say that they give up the sodas 
regular diet. They give up these things that you know are not so great for them and swap it out for this. Like they're going to see some kind of change, whether mm-hmm. it's weight loss or better skin or or whatever, just by doing that one simple change. So mm-hmm. he was really, really interested. Mm-hmm. And we got back to San Francisco and uh, and you know waited actually for uh, our next production run. And basically it was being shipped out to us and there were some delays. And then we got it actually the morning. I was having a planned C-section um, at two in the afternoon. And I woke up that morning and had lots of energy. And uh, the nanny's there. I think uh, my mother-in-law was there as well to sort of like watch the kids. And I said to my husband, you know what I'd really love to do? We have these cases. I'd love to go over to Whole Foods. And the guy had promised me um, that he would give it a try in, in Whole Foods. So let's go over there and see if we can drop some cases. He's like, you are crazy. Like <laughs> we've got to be over at the hospital. And I'm like, it's going to take no more than an hour. Like, just come on, let's just go. Let's go. And so we go over to Whole Foods on California and Franklin and go and grab the uh, the guy. And I said, hey, do you remember me? And he was like, you were not this pregnant. And I said, I know, I'm like super pregnant. We've been really busy creating this product and it's called Hint. And I'm gonna give you 10 cases, you know, to to put up on the shelf. And he was like, well, I just meant you should do it. But he was sort of backtracking on his promise or what my perceived, you know, my perceived take on sort of what he was promising was that he was gonna put it on the shelf. And, you know, my husband's kind of like, two feet behind me, just thinking like, oh my God, like she's, God only knows like what this guy actually said to her or not. And I'm like, come on, I'm like delivering a baby at two this (laughs) afternoon. You should really do it. And so I didn't really know when we left Whole Foods, whether or not he was actually going to put him on the shelf. And so I go and, you know, deliver Justin. He's healthy. Everything's great. The next day, um, the phone rings and, you know, I thought it was family or friends or whatever calling to see how I was doing. And so I said to my husband, uh, so who is it? And he said, oh, it's a guy from Whole Foods. And I said, what, what did he say? And he said, he said, the product's gone. And I was like, give me the phone. And so I said, who took the product? <laughs> and he said, no, it, it was sold. And I'm like, like 10 cases are gone. That was and, in a two-day period? Yeah, two day it was period. like a day and a half period. Wow. And I'm like, wow, like that's crazy. And so I was, and he said, you know, I can't hold your shelf space. I'd given you guys all the shelf space and I can't hold it for long. So you really have to deliver some more product. And we didn't have any more product. And so we went home and made some in our kitchen and uh, I got out of the hospital early and um, and uh, my husband, Theo said, you know, I'll go deliver the cases for you. And, but by the way, if I'm going to do this, I should get like a business card or something. (laughs) And I was like, okay, like get a business card. And and he was like, well, what should my title be? And I'm like, I don't know, like chief operating officer. I I don't know what it should be. I don't really care what it is. And so he was like, okay, so I'm going to get card chief operating officer of Hint. And it was like a joke. I mean, it was, we were, you know, off to the races and there were so many things that we hadn't figured out. I mean, above and beyond sort of the distribution side of this business. I mean, I, I tell entrepreneurs all the time that it's, uh, you know, we didn't understand shelf life. We didn't Mm -hmm. really understand. We didn't understand what we were doing. I mean, it was like, which was, you know, super scary, but also 
really energizing too, because yeah. I felt like I finally found it, you know, at AOL, I had been a vice president at AOL and, and had, you know, grown pretty quickly in that organization. And I felt like here was an opportunity for me to not be the one in the room that knew it all, mm-hmm. right? Like it was just a, you know, very exciting. Um, I, I felt like I didn't know it all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that doesn't happen, I think, to everybody. People, you know, typically it's like, okay, I've got to go in and keep growing. I actually wanted to go back to the bottom yeah. and was willing to go back to the bottom yeah. in an industry to sort of, you know, go and figure something out. And I was, you know, not concerned about titles. I was really just concerned about, you know, learning and and changing an industry mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. thought was really broken. I I love that. I love that specifically you didn't wait until you had all the information specifically to before you started taking action. You started taking small, immediate steps toward yeah. achieving what you set out to, to achieve. I think that's one of the number one things that holds people who could potentially be entrepreneurs and who could potentially launch great companies that prevents them from actually taking action is they're waiting until they have all of the information to get to a point where they're going to be comfortable to take that next step. And I think that's a huge mistake, which transitions into kind of what I want to talk about with, with risk-taking in the next few minutes before we have to let you go. What's the number one mistake that entrepreneurs make when it comes to approaching risk or thinking about risk? You know, I think it's, it's partly based on what, what you're saying too, that, that it's, it's a, uh, you know, I think if you've worked in a large company, there's this, there's this thinking that risk is bad, right? Like risk is, you know, especially if you've worked in a large public company that, you know, you can't take risk, you have to minimize risk, right? And so I think for, um, especially people who have grown up in, in, you know, uh, even a small company, no matter what stage you've been at where it's all about development, mm-hmm. then I think you start to learn that you can't actually, uh, you know, hit the hit the ball out of the ballpark unless you do take some risks mm-hmm. too. So I think it's really figuring out, um, you know, along the way, what is the best way to, you know, approach that so that you get smaller gains mm-hmm. along the way. But, you know, to your point about launching, um, you know, launching to that sometimes people just think that, you know, they can't do anything until they, until it's perfect. I always say to people that, it's look for us for a consumer product that people are drinking like our biggest issue was you know we didn't want people to die yeah. right i mean that was the thing and we wanted it to taste great so we were sure we would have never launched a product that was going to you know make someone sick or kill somebody right mm-hmm. like that was like the the really key thing um that we wanted to make sure that that wasn't you know happening but i think you know you learn so much by just hearing the consumer feedback on, right. on a product, whether it's they're buying the product or I'm not a big believer in focus groups either. Cause I think that focus groups, everybody seems to, I used to do focus groups all the time at AOL. It's um, everybody shows up and they sort of know why they're there. And so, and you kind of hear what you want to hear along the way. So I think if you have an opportunity, even a small way to get it out there, and let the consumer pay, you know, for the product and and try the product. Mm-hmm. Then that's the biggest way to really learn. And 
I guarantee that if you um, have delayed, delayed, delayed in order to have the perfect product, once the consumer actually gives you their feedback and what they're willing to pay money for, Mm -hmm. then you're going to change your product Mm -hmm. anyway. One of the things that's really cool, and you talked about the beginning, is changing the paradigm and not necessarily being stuck by the way things are currently being done. And the example that you use is that these big conglomerates buy all the shelf space. And that can be a, a major uh, inhibitor of success for a small company is, is you got this 800-pound gorilla taking up all of the real estate um, and could stop a lot of companies that are not innovative in their tracks before they even get off the, off the ground. And one of the things that I think coming from your tech background enabled you to think differently about that scenario and that environment. And you took a huge risk in launching direct to a consumer. And so how did you approach that strategy by by changing the way you thought about the process and how can entrepreneurs use that as an example to look at the industry that they're in and maybe think differently about it? So I think there's many lessons learned in there. I think that the, I remember meeting a guy that uh, a friend introduced me to even before we launched Hint and I was trying to, he had launched a, uh, or had a, the first organic whole wheat flour company. And I thought, okay, it's food. He's in Whole Foods. I'm going to go and meet with him and and grab coffee. Anyway, Josh Dorf said to me, when you launch your company, I was like, what are like the biggest lessons that you've learned? And he was like, what I've learned is, and again, he's not in the beverage industry, he's in the flower industry, but it's really all the same thing. He was like, what you'll learn is it's pick and shovel work. Hmm. And I was like, pick and shovel work? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean by pick and shovel work? And he was like, like, you'll get it on the shelf at Whole Foods or Safeway. And then you'll think, okay, I did it and it's good. And then you'll move on and then you'll get kicked off of the shelf, you know, that you thought that you had that was rock solid. Mm -hmm. And so it's this constant moving thing where you're like chipping away and then you've got to backtrack. You go forward two steps, you go back one, like any way that you want to think about it, but you got to just keep going and you got to just keep chipping away at the rock. And sometimes you got to move over to the other side of the rock and start chipping on that and keep doing that kind of stuff mm-hmm. throughout the process. And I, I'll never forget that. Like that that was like huge advice for yeah. me and sort of thinking about this. And so we continued to do that. I mean, initially we launched in Whole Foods, as I mentioned, and we launched on the East Coast as well. Um, my husband had this theory being a New Yorker that, you know, it's one thing if it's working in the Bay Area and San Francisco, but if it's not working on the East Coast, like mm. we'd like to learn that now because mm. if you really want an Uber brand, right, that's going to be right. able to scale, you want to know that it's going to work on both coasts, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. fail fast, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of find out if this is going to fail if it's not going to work in New York, that was the theory. So we did that. And then we went into sort of the next big move. We went into uh, tech offices purely by accident. We had some friends that were early at Google. They told us that they were like going to have free food and drink and massages and all this other stuff at Google. And we should talk to the food service guy that was running um, this at, at Google. And so we dropped off some samples of Hint and then you know, first they ordered two cases and then 10 cases. And, you know, today we do millions with, with Google. Um, and so, so that was really, you know, 
kind of a different channel. So there's specialty and then there was corporate food service. And then we started getting into this big behemoth of grocery mm-hmm. that you know was really, we thought that's the granddaddy of all granddaddies. And what we realized was, I'll never forget the first meeting with our buyer that we went to. Uh, and they they were explaining that, you know, we were explaining hint and saying that it's a unsweetened flavored water. And so the buyer showed me a planogram that they had that basically laid out where oh, everybody right. would be on the shelf. And so there was soda and there was diet soda and there were and there was a category called enhanced waters, which all had sweeteners in them. And then there were the teas and the plain waters. And so they said, so where do you fit? And I was like, well, none of them. I mean, what we're doing, we're not taking away, we're probably the closest to water, but we actually don't take away from any of your water sales. Mm -hmm. We're taking, these consumers are moving away from the sugar and sweetened stuff. And so they're like, so basically we'd walk out of all these grocery meetings and they were all the same. And they'd say, we'd love to put you in, but there's just no space because it's all planogrammed out. And so we got lucky a couple of times where they were like, well, we do have this little wiggle room. And so we're like, okay, we'll take it. Mm -hmm. And then we'd show that our sales per square foot were actually higher than some of these other categories. So Mm -hmm. it started to expand and expand. Mm -hmm. And so today you walk into Kroger or HEB or, you know, Safeway and, you know, we, we still have, you know, a 20th of the space that a Coke or a Pepsi has because they actually pay for the space. They, they spend millions of dollars to actually get that real estate. And that's the way that I view it. So a, you know, it's not unheard of for a, you know, Coke or Pepsi to pay Safeway, for example, $60 million Holy a year smokes. to actually block better for you brands from actually being in that space. Should and be illegal. So, and, you know, it's, there's some question in my mind, especially when you're public companies, there's a lot of, you know, that stuff that, that goes on. Um, but I also think what's, what's interesting is that a lot of these checks, I don't believe mm-hmm. are all, are, are all paid by the soda companies and food companies. I think that there's a lot of, power from the sugar industry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, the sodium industry and some of the others that are also contributing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to those checks too. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, it's a crazy world out there. And what I started to see with the grocery business is that I can, you know, continue to chip away at the rock, but that better not be my own only channel, mm-hmm. right? Because it's going to take a long time and you know this it's it's a slow process to to make it move and i have to continue to show growth but you know i'll be here forever forever yeah trying to grow that channel right and so probably i guess it was about 5 years ago 4 or 5 years ago uh amazon reached out to us and they were like we love your product we love what you're doing we've seen you at google and facebook and we'd really like to put hint in uh our grocery set that we're launching on on Amazon. And we're also 
in a couple of months launching this thing called Prime, which is going to be subscriptions for mm-hmm. product. And we think like your product, we really want to test it and we're going to wholesale it from you. And so I was like, what's the downside, right? I was also frustrated with a lot of the, um, you know, not just the uh, product that we're selling in grocery, but also in specialty grocery like Whole Foods or, you know, even in food service, we don't get a lot of the data back. So coming from a you know, tech background, I really felt like that was a piece that I missed, that I didn't really know who my customer was because the data belonged to the people that I was wholesaling the product to. So with Amazon, I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to get some information back on the product. And then after I, you know, we were doing really well, we were one of their top grocery items on Amazon. I, um, and a heavy subscription um consumer as well. They weren't giving us any of the data back, but they said, look, we'll share a little thing that we think is really interesting, which is that a lot of your consumers are also buying products like um, lap bands for um, gastric bypass surgery and type 2 diabetes monitors, as well as um, pregnancy-related items and all health-related items, Right. Right. And so I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. I want to reach out to these customers and talk to them more about who they are and what problems they're trying to solve. And they're like, well, that's Amazon's data. That's Jeff Bezos' data. So you can't actually get, you can't do that. That's our customer. And so at that point, I started to think, well, the only way that I'm actually going to be able to really have a relationship with the customer is to go direct to the customer through our own site. And I took that concept actually, you know, not just to our team, but also to our board and said, I really want to launch our own. And and the initial feedback was, you know, that's stupid, that's crazy, you'll never be able to compete against (laughs) Amazon. But what I knew about Amazon and, you know, since then Jet has launched and, you know, others is that, you know, they're never going to have my entire selection, Mm -hmm. right? There are certain consumers that want to just come to the drinkhint.com site and know that they can, you know, buy direct from us, that it's not, you know, it's not going to be in a warehouse sitting there for months and months and months. And they can also get our newest, latest and greatest things. And so, um, so going back to sort of my scrappy nature, my husband and I just decided, let's just go build a little website and see, you know, what can be done. We were, you know, building, continuing to grow the business, but really thought like, this is an opportunity for us to really get to know our customer and sort of fast forward almost three years now, it's 40% of our overall business. Wow. And so what it's really allowed us to do is, is pivot towards, you know, if it allows us options. So mm-hmm. if a, you know, large retailer in Florida, for example, says to us, we're not going to give you as much shelf space or you're not going to be in, um, or maybe they don't tell us that, you know, a Pepsi, for example, is giving them a large real estate check to sort of own more. And so our our space is going to be taken entirely or, or taken down in some way. Then we now have the ability to go in and target by zip code those customers mm-hmm. in those areas to mm-hmm. say that we're here yeah. and just buy direct through yeah. us. Yeah. And so it it really is, it's giving us options, which hedge. is- yeah, yeah, which yeah. is what I say to entrepreneurs all the time that yeah. it's, you know, I have a lot of natural food entrepreneurs who come to me and and uh, talk to me about their product. And, you know, they're all excited that they're in Whole Foods. Yeah. And I'm like, look, it's 
pick and shovel work, going back to what Josh Dorff said to me, it's like, it's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like your next goal should be to figure out how do I get out of relying on what that buyer at Whole Foods says, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And instead figure out what other channels can I go into in order to make this business uh, that I can turn based on what decisions I'm hearing that I might not like and, you know, crank it up in certain areas in order to, you know, take over and and ultimately take over the the relationship with the customer. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then we, you know, this year actually, uh, well, going back about the time that we were launching the website, I had a scare with um, pre-cancer oh on my, my nose. Oh, wow. And um, and grew up in Arizona, had way too much sun and yeah. started uh, after getting the spot removed on my nose, went, um, started looking at different sunscreens and trying to figure him out. And I had just always just put sunscreen on, just assumed that it was better. And then the spot grew back. And so I started looking at ingredients and really starting first parabens, but then um, which has been taken out of many sunscreen products. But then I looked at uh, this chemical called oxybenzone and and quickly did some research on oxybenzone and saw that uh, when it was approved by the FDA in 1976 for use in the U.S. in sunscreen, that uh, the Center for Disease Control was actually saying that it may actually enhance precancer cell growth. And so I thought, you know, we have some of the largest skin cancer in the world in the US mm-hmm. and it's oxybenzone is not approved in many countries outside of the US. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I thought can we actually can I develop a product that doesn't have oxybenzone and not only from an ingredient standpoint also develop a product that people actually want to wear because I know for myself I've never really enjoyed wearing sunscreen. Right. I wear it yeah. because I think I'm supposed to do that so I don't get a sunburn. Um, but also, you know, when I, like some of my worst vacations have been with my kids trying to put sunscreen yeah. on them yeah. and like massive fights, they're running away from me. So we took our fruit essences from our water to actually scent the product. Hmm. And, um, and you know, we- Is I that found, launching? So, so we launched it in January oh, wow. of this year. Okay. And a uh, small way, we got FDA approval after two and Ooh. a half years, which apparently is fast. Um, I think we may be the first sunscreen that's actually using real fruit Mm. to actually scent the product. So, um, so, and what's interesting is most consumers, um, and again, small test in San Francisco and some doctor's offices were, were in, uh, four seasons, a few of their properties as well, but most consumers are actually buying two bottles because they can't figure out which scent Mm. they want. So we, we have it in grapefruit, pear, and pineapple. And uh, and so we're really doing what we've done in the beverage industry, which is helping people to, you know, read labels, get healthier. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer that the best sunscreen is the one that you actually want to wear. Mm-hmm. So it's really about the experience. It smells great. Um, people are really, really excited about it. And we're launching nationwide in January in Target. That is awesome. So, yeah. Congratulations. So we've been in Target with the yeah. water, but now right. we're going to go in in a bigger way. And then we have, we have a few other products uh, in other categories in the queue. But the the goal and sort of the mission of this company is, uh, 
is really just to help the consumer live a healthy lifestyle, which again, going back to sort of the the re, my reason for launching this company in the first place was just that. It wasn't to launch a beverage company. It was really to help consumers. Well, we have, uh, we're coming up on the the uh, end of our time together, but I want to make sure that number one, we, people know where they can go and get Hint and also connect with you online. So if you could take a, yeah. a second to share. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so our site is drinkhint.com. And you can get all of our uh, water as well as sunscreen and lip balms and all that stuff online. And and uh, and really, um, that's that's I think the easiest place to get it because we ship it directly to your home. But you can also get it on Amazon uh, nationwide and Whole Foods and most grocery stores across the country. And uh, we're also in a lot of offices. So if you work in an office where uh, you have beverages available to you definitely recommend that they switch over from a lot of the sugary and not so good for your drinks to a product like Hint. So, And you also offer a lot of great entrepreneurial advice often on Facebook, other social media channels. So where they can, where can they follow you? Yeah. So, uh, Kara Golden, that's K-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-N.com. And, uh, yeah. And I, post every once in a while on Twitter and Medium and LinkedIn yeah. and Facebook and just have a lot of fun with it. So Now we have three final questions uh, before we let yeah. you go. And uh, you can take as long or as short with them as you like. But the first is, if you could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? I would say the skill set of um, of just being able to see what's important. Right, hmm. and I think that I think it is a skill. I think it, it mm-hmm. it's a it's a gift, but it's a skill that would be super cool. It's it's um you know it's seeing ahead of where the where the typical consumer mm-hmm. actually sees. Mm-hmm. So I think I I do have a gift for that. I love it. What are three lies that we tell ourselves? that prevent us from realizing our full potential? So three lies. Uh, I'd say the first one is that uh, we should get people to uh, to do... Well, in the case of Hint, I, I thought that I didn't have experience in the beverage industry, and therefore I kept saying that I couldn't do it, that I wasn't smart enough, that I, you know, that I didn't have the capacity to go do this. And, you know, as I always tell people, it's like, I mean, that was, a, that was actually probably a benefit to me because there were a lot of things I was able to do. I'd say, uh, yeah, just, I think gut is also, is also something too, that it's, it's something that I think is underrated, mm-hmm. um, that like going with your gut, your yeah, intuition. going with your gut that I, I think a lot of people, you know, second guess themselves a lot, um, you know, just based on, uh, whether, you know, it's their read on people or their read on, you know, products. It's just, I think that that's something that is definitely something mm-hmm. that, um, that people should, uh, trust a little bit more in. Mm-hmm. Um, and a third one, I don't know if I have, I mean, I think those are two. Th- those are two doozies. Yeah, those are, those yeah. are good ones. The last question is, is a big one. And it's, it's the title of a book that Clay Christensen wrote. He was a Harvard yeah. business professor. Yeah. And uh, it's how will you measure your life? I think uh, family first, and um, and being a good role model for uh, for my kids, um, and and then I think also just being a disruptor and changing an industry that I think is even 
more clearly uh, broken than mm-hmm. I ever thought and many consumers thought mm-hmm. 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's what I'm excited to be able to do. And then I think also just tagging onto that, I think by doing what I've done, hopefully other uh, disruptors, entrepreneurs, innovators will go and do stuff that actually you know, makes a difference in, in, their, in, in their vision, right? For what they see as, as problems. Awesome. Kara Golden, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Thanks. Entrepreneur Show for the insightful conversation, for sharing your story, talking about risk and talking about the impact that you are seeking to have in the world above and beyond what you do here at Hint. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Super fun. Yes. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.